Hey, good morning, and welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. You know, we gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online. Now, online, you can search Faith on Hill on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for our audio-only podcast. We have a live stream on our website, faithonhill.com. You can also find the audio podcast there. And our videos are always up on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Instagram, at Faith on Hill. And we gather on Sunday mornings in person at 1030, and then we spread throughout the week on small groups. And you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. Now, we are continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 10. And it says that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The big idea today for this chapter is that Jesus calls people to be his disciples because the kingdom of heaven is near. I'm going to say that again. Jesus calls people to be his disciples because the kingdom of heaven is near. So here he has called out of his followers, he has called 12 men specifically to be his closest followers and to bring the message that the kingdom of heaven is near. It says he gave them authority to do the work that they were needed to do. And then it lists their names. And, you know, we, a couple years ago, actually, I wrote a blog on our website. Uh, you just have to go to the blog tab on our, our webpage uh, about what happened to these guys. All of them, except for John, died proclaiming that Jesus was the risen Savior. And John, of course, uh, lived a long life, but one that was full of trial and suffering and persecution because of his belief in Jesus. Jesus still calls people to his service. And you might look at this and say, well, I've never healed a disease. I've never done this or that. I'm, I'm not these guys, sure, but that's their calling. Calling. There were all of these followers of Jesus. That there were many people who followed Jesus beyond the 12 apostles. That there were uh, faithful women who proclaimed the gospel. There were men whose names we don't know who also served Jesus. I think, of, you know, a couple weeks ago, we heard about these men that Jesus set free from demonic possession. And, and they then were left on that side of the Sea of Galilee to go and proclaim the coming of the kingdom of heaven. We don't know their names. History and, and the scripture don't tell us anything about them beyond that. But we know that they were given a charge. They were given an assignment. They were given a mission. God is still calling women and men, to serve him, to be his disciples to this day. And he empowers us for the work, the ministry that he has given us. The scripture says uh, that there is a diversity of gifts from the Holy Spirit. For some, it's a gift of faith. For some, it's a gift to heal. For some, it's a gift to serve. For others, it's a gift to organize. For others, it's all of these different things. What is it that God has called you has put into your life, has given you talent for, has given you a calling for. It says that 
he sent the 12 out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter, enter any town of the Samaritans. Verse 6, rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Calling is an interesting thing. People think of calling as this really mystical thing. I have a calling in life. Calling is both general and unique. Every person has a general calling. Love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That calling, that responsibility, that assignment, that office is given to every person. Love God and love people. Every Christian has been given the calling to be a witness of Jesus and to make disciples. Every Christian has been given that calling. There's no Christian who isn't called to be a witness of Jesus. There's no Christian who isn't called to do their part to make disciples. But then within that general calling, we have specific callings. He tells his 12 followers here, do not go to the Gentiles or to any town of the Samaritans. Yet Jesus, you might know the story of the woman at the well, went to a town of the Samaritans and proclaimed the kingdom there. Jesus had interactions with Gentiles. He went to the other side of the shore, which was a heavily Gentile area. Uh, when he was eating at Matthew's house, the night that Matthew renounced his sin and followed Jesus, and he was eating, it says, with sinners and tax collectors. And we spoke the other week about how sinners is likely referring to Gentiles. But they had a specific calling. I want you 12 to go to the lost sheep of the people of Israel. They need to hear that their Messiah has come. And so your responsibility is to go to all four corners of Israel and everywhere in between and proclaim in those towns and villages that the Messiah is here. That was their specific calling in that moment. Now that shifted and changed. Some of them had a greater calling beyond this. We know that Peter was the first to preach the gospel intentionally to non-Jewish people, and you can check that out in the book of Acts. But in this moment and in this place, they had a specific calling. Jesus says, verse 9, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for your journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for a worker is, to, is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. So, again, specific callings. There were times where we see that the apostles traveled with provisions, traveled with some extra money, traveled with the things that uh, they might need to set up shop in a new city. But in this moment, that's not what they were supposed to do. By the way, this is how a lot of legalisms and false traditions start in the church. They start in good places. That this was a specific calling for this moment. But then what happens is we say this is how it's supposed to be for all time and in every place. Well, what if Jesus didn't give that command to someone else? That was just for these guys in this moment. That's why I don't worry about what someone else is called to do. 
I don't worry about what happened in some other time. I ask myself, what is it that Jesus wants from me, wants from us in this place and in this moment? What is our specific calling in the context of our general or greater calling to be witnesses and to make disciples? Now, the reason he says that they should stay in the house until you leave is actually uh, human nature. Let's say that they came into a village and they found somebody who says, what are you doing here? And they say, I've come to tell proclaim that Jesus the Messiah has come. And they say, hey, come to my house. Stay while you do your ministry, your work here. And they do. And it's a, it's a good place. They're good folks. It's a good house. But then they're there a day or two, and as they are teaching people and, and, and proclaiming all that Jesus has taught, somebody who has a nicer house, somebody who's more important in the town, somebody who's more prominent, who has more money, whatever, says, hey, why don't you come stay at my place? I got, a, I got a better offer for you. And he said, oh, okay. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it, but I'm going to go stay over there. Jesus is saying, don't, don't show favoritism like that. Uh, he, he's saying, hey, just stay in one house. Be consistent. You're not here for money. You're not here to gain notoriety or to get the attention of the more popular person in town. You're here to come and proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. As you enter the home, give it your blessing. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. And if it is not, let your peace return. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave the home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So, a few things are going on there. What does Jesus mean? It's this. This whole thing about letting your peace rest or your peace return, uh, some translations might say your blessing. Uh, It's a cultural idea. They had this idea of of blessings and proclaiming peace on a place. And so this was just a cultural thing that they would have done. The bigger idea is Jesus says, hey, if nobody's going to listen to you, then you shake the dust from your feet, which would have been a cultural symbol of saying, this is your choice. I'm leaving. And then he says it would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that town. This is not the only time that Jesus makes statements like this. In other places in the Gospels, Jesus proclaims to certain towns, it will be worse for you than it will be for these other places in biblical history that receive the judgment of God. Why is that? Because in those places, Jesus himself had come. Or in these towns, the 12 apostles, the disciples of Jesus had come. And they had come and they had proclaimed the kingdom. They had come and proclaimed Jesus. It wasn't just like, hey, you know, we're 2,000 years later, we're reading it in the book. They're there. So they have a greater judgment on them. Somebody might say, well, isn't that a little unfair? Hardly. Too much is given, much is required. To, to whom much has been received, you have an obligation to do something with that. They received the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is saying to his followers, if they won't receive you, just shake the dust off your feet, walk away. It's not on you. It's not on us in our day to convince anyone to become a Christian. We can only proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. We can only proclaim Jesus is Lord. We can only proclaim that there is a way of salvation. That's all we can do. We can tell people what we know and what we believe. It's on them. It's on you to respond. 
He says, verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. Now, it starts a shift here. He's giving them instructions to a specific calling. But this, to me, is the most, follow me on this, the most Old Testament that Jesus gets. And here's what I mean by that. In Old Testament Bible prophecy, there will be times where a prophet is speaking about something very specific, and then all of a sudden, you can see the shift, and they start talking about things way in the future. The same thing's happening here. He says, I'm sending you out among she- like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local consuls and flogged in the synagogues. As far as we know, that did not happen before Jesus' death and resurrection. It did happen later. It happened later as all 12 minus Judas, but all 11, and whoever the person, whether you think it was uh, Matthias or whether you think it was Paul, doesn't really matter, whoever replaced Judas, that the 12 apostles all were beaten, were brought before rulers, uh, were flogged, were, were taken and, and abused because of their belief in Jesus. He said, you will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And we know that this is the case. We know that, that many of the apostles were brought before leaders and, and that Paul himself may have stood before the emperor and the church fathers who were the generation after the apostles. Many of them stood before governors and kings and even emperors. He says, you'll be handed over, you'll be standing before them. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you are to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So he's saying, when the time comes for you to stand before these these rulers, you have to trust that the Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say. Sometimes we worry, like, I don't know if I can share my faith with anybody. I need to go take a class. I need to go through a seven weeks, and then I'll be, I get the stamp of approval. I've graduated. I can then share my faith. I don't think that's true. I really don't. I think that we can grow in how to share our faith. I think that there are systems that have been developed to give us sort of a framework to start with. I'm not disparaging anything. You know, if you know the Romans Road, if you know the four spiritual laws, if you've been through uh, evangelism explosion was a very popular class uh, to teach people and train people how to share their faith. I don't have a problem with any of those in and of themselves. But this idea that I need some, you know, six-week class, three-month class, I got to go to seminary, and then I'll know how to share my faith. I don't think that's true. Do you know Jesus? Then share what you know. If somebody comes with a question that you don't have an answer to, have the humility to say, you know what, I don't know that answer, but will you let me do some research and come back to you? Or, hey, can we do some research together? Because you've brought up something that I don't know the answer to. And I can have the humility to say, I don't know, and then do some research or do some reading or ask questions or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. I can trust that the Holy Spirit will lead me in all truth. Again, he's speaking of the future, but we've seen this played out in history. Verse 21, Brother will betray brother to death, for a father, and a father his child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. So, it's not unreasonable to think 
that in the worst of the Roman persecutions of the church, there were times where a brother would say to the authorities, my brother over there, my sister over there, my mom or my dad, my own children, my own spouse, they are one of these Christians you seek. Put them to death. And maybe it's because they're trying to save their own skins. Maybe it's because of their own hatred of Christianity, of Jesus. Who knows the reason? But we have seen that in human history. We have seen that in human history where, where you know, children reported their own parents in Nazi Germany. Friends, spouses, you had to keep so many things hidden because you didn't know who to trust. The same is true in communist countries, in Muslim countries. That the, There are places in this world today where this is lived out. You will be hated by everyone because of me, verse 22, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. So what does he mean by you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes? It could mean multiple things. In, in biblical prophecy, there is this idea of first and last fulfillment, or sometimes it's referred to as partial and full fulfillment, or sometimes it's referred to as a near and a far fulfillment. It all kind of depends on which, which professor is lecturing in, in which seminary, but the idea is the same. This idea that, this idea that in biblical prophecy, something will have a short-term and a long-term fulfillment. Uh, Jesus came the first time and fulfilled the suffering servant part of the messianic prophecies. And when he comes again, he will fulfill the conquering king parts of the messianic profo- uh, prophecies. Uh, and the same is true here where it says, um, you know, a servant is not greater than his master. You will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. There is one sense in which They were going through the towns of Israel, but the Son of Man was already there. The Messiah was there. God in human flesh was there. Jesus is saying, go. If they reject you in one place, just go to another because there's a lot of work to be done. And you don't even have time to get to every place because I'm here. You can't say, oh, we've got to get this all done and then the Messiah will come. He's saying, no, I'm here. By the way, I don't hear it as much now. But it was definitely something that was prevalent. I would hear it growing up in the church in the 80s and the 90s and a little into the 2000s. This idea from missions organizations that you need to support missions organizations because we have to preach the gospel to the whole world and then Jesus can come. And it's a misunderstanding of another verse in the Bible. But I don't think that's the case. I don't think there is anything holding Jesus back from coming. By the way, I I think there's an argument that the whole world has heard even if there's an individual person that hasn't. But the idea that Jesus is saying is, hey, before the Son of Man comes, he's already here. And then in distant, in full, or in far fulfillment, you could also say, hey, you're not going to finish telling the whole world. Like, the work never ends. There will always be somebody who needs to know. There will always be someone who needs to hear. 
The student is not above the teacher nor the servant above the master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? What is Jesus talking about there? He's Jesus saying, hey, you know what? They're calling me the devil. We read that last week, right? That he was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. And the Pharisees said he's the prince of demons. He's doing this by the power of the devil. Beelzebub is another name for the devil. And so he's saying, hey, they're calling me the devil. What do you think they're going to call you? A servant is not greater than his master. A student is not greater than his teacher. He's saying, if they're calling me all this stuff, what do you think they're going to do to you? How do you think they're going to treat you? Jesus is calling people to be his disciples because the kingdom of heaven is near. What does disciple mean? I think sometimes we hear this word disciple and we think it's just somebody who's like in a position of authority in the church or we think it's somebody who knows a lot of stuff. Like, how are you discipled? We use this word discipleship to talk about the the training process to teach somebody how to be a disciple of Jesus. And we think, oh, they just have to have a certain amount of Bible verses memorized. A disciple is not just a fan. A disciple isn't just somebody who, who likes the teachings of Jesus or who appreciates things about the Christian faith. A disciple is somebody who makes his whole life about following a particular teacher or leader or master. Uh, we were watching a travel show uh, during the early days of lockdown. We watched a lot of travel shows. And I really liked uh, the Rick Steves ones because they were like, pleasant and somewhat um, glossing over anything bad and you know so you could watch these shows with your kids and the whole thing and I remember watching the episode where he goes to Jerusalem and there were different Orthodox Jews and they wore different um, hats or they wore their they you know if you've seen the Orthodox Jews in their sort of black suits but sometimes they would be black with all black and then sometimes they'd be black with little pinstripes and then sometimes they would be white with black stripes or the pinstripes would be quite large or quite small and he asked his local fixer, you know, what's the difference between all of these different hats and suits? And um, he said, that's how their rabbi dresses. And so if the rabbi wears that kind of hat, then his students wears that kind of hat. If the rabbi wears a suit with no pinstripes, then they wear a suit with no pinstripes. If the rabbi wears a suit with pinstripes, they wear the suit with pinstripes. They totally changed who they were to be like their master. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't just being a fan of Jesus, isn't just knowing things about Jesus, but it's becoming like Jesus. That's victory in the Christian life. That's holiness in the Christian life, is to be like Jesus. He's saying, hey, they called me the devil. What do you think they're going to call you? And in our day, don't be afraid of what people call you. And We've been called all kinds of things. We've been called anti-science, we've been called bigoted, we've been called this, we've been called that, and I totally will acknowledge that there are people who claim to be Christians who are anti-science, who are bigoted, who are all of those things. Totally fair. But those of us who are truly seeking to walk and live in the ways of Jesus, to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not of this earth, for those of us who want to be disciples of Jesus, then we have to accept they did not accept Jesus. They will not accept us. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What I whisper in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one 
who can destroy both soul and body in hell? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered, so do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What he's saying is you're going out and you're scared and that's understandable, but who should you really fear? Do you fear people or do you fear God? Do you know how valuable you are to God? Do you know how much God cares about you? Trust in that. You're afraid. You're afraid to live for Jesus in your workplace, at your school, amongst your neighbors. Do you fear the judgment of those around you or do you fear how God sees you? Whoever acknowledges me, verse 32, before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now, here's the good news. If you have, if you have failed to acknowledge Jesus publicly in the past, if there was an opportunity where you could have said, Jesus is my master and I follow him, in, in modern words, you know what I mean. Jesus restored Peter after he denied Christ. Jesus will restore you, 100%. But what he's saying is, there's no secret Christians. What he's saying is, there is a calling to publicly follow Jesus and proclaim him. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Ooh, that seems harsh. Again, he's saying what he said earlier. Brother will betray brother. Father will betray son. Daughter will betray mother. It's the same idea. Anyone who loves their family more than Jesus. In our day, that's happening right now. As adult children are turning away from Christ, there are parents and grandparents who have to make a choice. Do I say, for the sake of having what I consider a good relationship or a normal relationship with my kids, will I turn away from Christ? And we see this often, where a, a adult daughter, an adult son, their spouse, their partner, and their kids will turn away from Christ, and then the parents or the grandparents have a choice. So that I can still see my kids or my grandkids, and it's usually the grandkids, so that I can still have that on their terms, what will I sacrifice, what will I compromise, what will I deny? I really appreciate my parents' example in this. Some of you know this, some of you don't. But my, my middle brother is not a believer and does not walk in the ways of Jesus. And we pray for him often. My parents have been a great example of continually showing love while at the same time not compromising. They kicked him out when he was in his 20s, you know. They said, hey, you, you can live here, but there's, there's a rule. Like, we, you know, we're, we're not going to allow these things in our house. And then all of a sudden they find those things in the house and they say, all right, you have 24 hours. What? No, I'll, I'll, no, you have 24 hours. And then three months later, when like the prodigal son, he came back and said, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm hurt. 
I'm broken. They said, come inside. We love you. They didn't, you know, and he's still not a Christian, but they've continued to show him love. It's not like they're letting things go, but they've, they've said, we will not compromise. We will not affirm what you are doing, but we will continue to show you love. How many teens and 20-year-olds have felt the calling of God, but their parents have said no? I, I, one of the weirdest moments of my life was as a youth pastor, uh, Sunday after church, this uh, mom came to church to yell at me because I had suggested to her uh, daughter that she consider going to Bible college. I said, hey, you should pray about going to Bible college. You know, that go to Bible college, see what God has for you. It seems like God might be stirring something in your life. That was it. That was the conversation. Two weeks later, she tells her mom she wants to go to Bible college instead of, uh, you know, taking hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to go to Berkeley. And uh, so the mom comes and yells at me. And I said, look, I'm a youth pastor. For me to tell somebody that they should maybe pray about going to, you know, give their life to following Jesus fully, that's, that's not like a weird thing for me to say, right? It's not like I, I wasn't doing anything weird or scandalous or out of the ordinary. That's what you would expect. But I've seen that where it's like, hey, you know, I want to follow the Lord. And their parents will say, literally, I've seen parents say no. You can go to church on Sunday. You can do the religious thing, Easter and Christmas. But to fully give your life over to Jesus and his service, no way. And you have to make a choice. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Therefore, anyone uh, welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person, a righteous person's reward will. Uh, will be received. Anyone who's given a cup of cold water to the little ones who is my disciples, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. What Jesus is saying is, he is the human representation of God. Jesus said to Philip, one of the 12 disciples, if you've seen me, speaking of Jesus, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God the Father. We are the physical representations of Jesus now. As we live in Christ, people see Jesus. So if somebody welcomes us, there is a sense in which they are welcoming God. Jesus is calling people to be his disciples for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. That there, this world is dying. This world has no hope. Our only hope is in Jesus and his kingdom coming. And as people welcome our message, they are welcoming God. They are welcoming the, the mercy of Jesus as we proclaim Jesus. Now, if we come and we proclaim America, if we come and we proclaim our political point of view, if we come and we proclaim a culture that might be called Christianity, but it's not the same thing necessarily, then we're not bringing anything that they don't already have. And there are churches that it's like, what are you here to proclaim? Are you here to proclaim America? Are you here to proclaim uh, progressive politics? Are you here to proclaim conservative politics? Are you here to proclaim uh, a traditional culture? It seems like some churches, that's all they want to do. What are you interested in? We're interested in people observing our cultural rituals, whatever those may be. Or are you interested in bringing people the good news that Jesus Christ died to save sinners and rose again three days later? And as people receive that, they receive us. And if they reject that, they aren't rejecting us. They're rejecting Jesus. 
We're just his servants. Jesus is calling you, he's calling me to serve him, to be his disciples, not his fans, not people who have a lot of knowledge about him, not his trivia people, but his disciples. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's coming. It's happening. It's growing. And as this world grows darker and darker, we will have to make the choice. Do we stand in the light of God or do we falter? And somebody might say, well, I don't know that the world is growing darker. I think things are getting better. Now, look, I'll be the first to say that, yes, some things are getting better. That happens, right? Like something was bad, it gets a little better. But if you look around the totality of this world, I do not believe that things are getting better. I do not believe that for a minute. I believe that violence is increasing. I believe that hatred and strife are on the rise. I believe that uh, racism is, was in the shadows for a while. It's just been coming out and, and being obvious. I believe that, that people have just said, we don't care what God says about morality at all. And I believe that that is true on the right and on the left. I believe that people on, from all walks of life have come to that place. And as we stand in the kingdom of heaven, we bring hope. But we should also not be surprised if the world that rejects Jesus rejects us, his servants. What has God called you to do? The first calling that God gives to every person is to consider Jesus. The first calling that every person has is what will you do with Jesus who died and rose from the dead? What will you do about your sins? The answer is I can do nothing, but Jesus does everything. And he's the one who just removes my sins, erases my sins, says now because of his righteousness, I stand right before God. That's the calling that every person has. Consider Jesus. And then every Christian is given a general calling. Be a witness of Jesus. Tell people what you know. Pass on what you know by teaching people how to be disciples of Jesus as you know how to be a disciple of Jesus. That's a general calling. And then specifically, what is the specific calling that God has given you? These guys were called to be apostles. These guys were called to be evangelists and to travel. Others, like James, the brother of Jesus, he was called to be a pastor. He never left Jerusalem. His job was to stay and to minister to those people. It was a valid calling. Everyone has a different calling. Maybe you're called to pray. Maybe you're called to serve. Maybe you're called to, to uh, speak out and, and to be a, a prophetic voice. Whatever our callings are specifically within the greater calling of be a witness and make disciples, we need to know whose power we walk in, it's the power of Jesus, whose message and name we stand in, it's the name of Jesus, not our own name, not the name of a church, not the name of a movement, it's the name of Jesus. And we should not be surprised when it is received the same way that Jesus was received. Many people found hope, but more people rejected. What will you do? What will your answer be? Which way will you walk in?